0: Good morning to all of you. Good to be here worshiping together. We're gonna to look at this in just a, a few moments, but I invite you to start opening now to Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two, we'll be looking at verses eight through fourteen in a moment. But before we do that, I, I wanted to remember back on a certain occasion, probably fifteen plus years ago now, and I had a certain college assignment that was given to me. And part of that assignment included going to an assisted living home. So I got there and met the director at the door and uh, just asking him a little bit about the the place. And, And he informed me that, by the way, here at their assisted living home is a man who fought in the World War II Battle of the Bulge. This was a a long and and bloody battle that went across Belgium, France, Luxembourg, and it was fought over the winter of 1944 and 45. And so obviously this this man who had served there all of these years before, very elderly man, and I was was sure, I'm still sure that he had lots of, of wisdom to share from his experiences over the years. Not many years left, probably, to, to share those things. And so, so I was eager to, to hear his perspective. And I'm sure he did share many, many things with me. I recall bits and pieces of his, his work life. And I think he shared a thing or two about uh, the war. And so great to hear some of those things. But, but there was this one insight that he shared that will always stick with me. I'll never forget it. And it's particularly applicable to to myself and and really uh, many of, of you men here this morning. He he told me he told me this. He looked at me and he said, lose the beard. It makes you look immature. Not, not exactly the thing that I want to remember from what I'm sure was a great conversation with this guy. A little bit disappointed, although he was probably right. Maybe he's still right. I don't know. But lose the beard. It makes you look immature. Uh, not the thing that I wish stayed with me the most. And, and this morning, I, I do hope that we've got some words before us that are maybe a little bit less disappointing than that as we look at 2 Timothy. And there we also find an aging man. We find a man near to the end of of his life. It's the imprisoned Apostle Paul. And he's writing what we believe is his final letter. He's got farewell words to say to his spiritual son, Timothy. And so the nature of of this letter, of course, is going to be one in which we could guess Paul has some, some things that he really wants to make sure he emphasizes before he's gone. While he's still got opportunity to, to write this, this letter to Timothy stationed in Ephesus, there are some things of greatest importance that he wants to make sure Timothy understands. And so I'd invite you this morning again to, to look at 2 Timothy 2, 8-14 through with me and stand as we read God's Word this morning. 2 Timothy 2, verses 8-14. through Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we'll also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful For He cannot deny Himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. You may be seated. And our Father, as we have these words from Your Word here before us this morning, we want to be good stewards of them and good stewards of this time that You've given us to gather together. Father, we want to, to grow in our ability to, to worship You because we understand more of who You are, more of Your, your will, Your ways for us. And Father, we, we pray that, that we would not have deaf ears, for, both for myself and, and everyone here. Lord, but instead, we ask that You would send Your Holy Spirit and, and we would listen. Father, we want to, to be as, as those who, who are taught and obey this morning. We want to be as those who are joyful on account of our salvation today. So Lord, would You be so kind and so gracious to, to help me as, as Paul already asked when he prayed. And, and help all of us here, Father, to, to hear and apply Your Word today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these, these verses, I believe, serve as a, a bit of a summary that in some ways is part of a letter that's, that's also a summary of some really important things. And so, so I picked verses 8-14 through 14 because I think they help us in many ways understand the rest of, of the letter and clue in on to one of the the, the uh, important uh, paragraphs here that illustrates the things that are of most importance for Timothy to, to take in for himself and then to teach to others. And so... Just giving a bit of, of a context as we look back in the previous verses, you, you can see there in, in verse 2 some of, of Paul's desire there as he delivers this to, to Timothy. He says, "...what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." And so you hear Paul's desire in that that the the word of God does not stop with this letter, and indeed does not stop with Timothy's words and in, in Ephesus. But instead, Timothy is investing in people, and not only just just any people that he's he's just uh, uh, downloading some information to, but but people who will also be able to to take this word, this message to others. Paul's concern is that the the gospel that he has proclaimed, the truth that he has delivered to all of the churches, the truth that he had for Ephesus, he wants to see that go forward generation to generation. And then as he wants Timothy to understand that this is going to be a matter of hard work and endurance, he gives him some metaphors to think through to help him grab on to this. He says, Timothy, you and others, you need to be like a soldier You need to be like an athlete. And you need to be like a hard-working farmer, Timothy. These are the kinds of people I want you to have in your minds as you carry forth the Gospel, as you invest in the lives of others, as you think on the truths that I've delivered to you. And then he says in verse 7, Think over what I say. So mull these things over, Timothy, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything, And so important words from, from Paul. Bigger concepts for him to, to think about. And it's almost then, though, as, he, as important as these things are, there's, there's a bit of a, a pause, perhaps a break, and, and Paul delivers to, to Timothy what's most central as he's mulling these important things over. He wants Timothy to, to remember one key thing. He says, Timothy, what it really boils down to, what you really need to know first off here is that Jesus Christ must be remembered going forward. Jesus Christ must be remembered. And that's what he says there in in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ? The the One risen from the dead. The offspring of the dead. Of David. Remember this Jesus Christ. And he gives these two authenticating features of the Jesus that is to be remembered the risen one, the descendant of David. And interestingly, here, he calls the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it might not have been a huge deal per se, but it is the only time in the pastoral epistles that Paul actually calls the Lord this name in this manner. Sometimes you might say Christ or Christ Jesus, but here he says Jesus Christ. And then he follows it with these two authenticating features. So so Jesus, if we really think about His name, inherent in His name is the fact that He is Deliverer. That's inherent in the name of, of Jesus He's Deliverer because He has risen from the dead. He's alive to save those who will trust in, in Him. He's this risen Jesus Deliverer. But then also, he is, he is Christ. He is Messiah. As we would look in the Old Testament, the equivalent there. He's the Anointed One. He's this descendant of David in the kingly line of David who will reign. And so he's Jesus' deliverer risen from the dead. And he's he's Christ, Messiah, the descendant of David. This, Paul says to Timothy, is the Jesus that you must remember. You need to think about what His name means. Who He is. And so let's look at these two features for just a little bit. And we're going to pour through several Scriptures this morning, particularly right here, especially condensed. It might be helpful for you to mostly just jot them down, perhaps look them up later. But let's look first at how the resurrection is so important for us to remember as we consider Jesus. All through the Scriptures, we see that all hope depended upon the resurrection. We could consider, for instance, baptism. Now, now, baptism, we'll observe that here in a couple weeks, and we will hear Daniel say as he baptizes people a quotation from part of Romans 6.4. And let's, let's uh, look at that here, Romans 6.4. It says, we were buried, therefore, with Him, Jesus. We were buried with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was what? Was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so when we see baptisms take place and people are buried with Christ in his death and they're raised to walk in newness of life, we are reminded of the essential nature of the resurrection. Christ, though He died, He was raised, and so now because He was raised, we too can be raised to walk in a new life with Him. The resurrection is important. The resurrection is necessary as we consider baptism. Paul also talks to the the Corinthians about this and he emphasizes the great weight of the fact that this Jesus has risen from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15.17, he says, this is just part of a longer argument that he's making, but he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ hasn't been raised... you're still a goner, Paul says. If Christ hasn't been raised, He's not, he's not the Christ that was prophesied that would not see corruption, that would, that would not be destroyed forever in the grave. If you don't have the resurrection, you don't have Jesus, and you don't have hope, and you don't have salvation. Timothy, you have to remember this Jesus Christ risen from the dead. What about the matter of His intercession and its connection to the resurrection. Consider Hebrews 7.23-25. The writer there is making a comparison between Jesus and the, the former priests who served in the temple. And he, he says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But He, Jesus... Holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So, consequently, because this has taken place, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives. He always lives to make intercession for them. Timothy, don't forget that Jesus Christ, he's risen from the dead and he's interceding at the right hand of the Father now and forever. Because He rose. Because death could not hold Him down. This is, this is the Jesus Christ He's to remember. Well, What about then the fact that He is the, the, the One who's the offspring of David? The Scriptures continually prophesied the Christ from David's line. We see that as we, we look through the Old Testament and right into the, the New. Uh, let's look actually at the New first from Luke. Chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. This is Gabriel who's speaking to Mary. Helping her to understand what's about to take place in Jesus being conceived in her womb. And he says to Mary, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. So so clearly, as Jesus was prophesied just before He was conceived in Mary, it was very important that it's understood this is the One who was promised that would come through the line of David. And really, Gabriel in some ways is probably referring back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 where the prophet Nathan tells David, you're going to have a kingdom that lasts forever. There's going to be one that comes from you, we understand, to be the the Messiah. It's important that we understand that this is the one that the Scriptures have spoken about. What about looking further into the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 11, beautiful passage there verses 1 through 5 that speak of this shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse, David's dad. This shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse. Listen here. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. For the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This mighty Jesus who was prophesied to come, who would be like no other king, no other one who has ever reigned. Jesus Christ, the One risen from the dead, the offspring of David, Paul says that's the Jesus you need to be remembering moving forward in your ministry. You see, the, the genuine Jesus that all Scripture pointed to had to take primary place in Timothy's mind. He needed to remember the real, authentic, genuine Jesus Christ that all the scriptures pointed to. Growing up as a a young American boy here in central Illinois, many of uh, you guys can perhaps uh, relate uh, to this, some of you ladies as well, but it was it was normal as a boy on birthdays or around Christmas to receive uh different kinds of sports equipment, right? I, I wasn't a super coordinated sporty uh person necessarily. But you know, I got my, my baseball glove and I and I got uh um baseballs of course and I, I think maybe I even had a uh a cub's hat, you know, at one time and and one of the things that you learned to look for, especially as you grew a little bit older as um, a young American growing up uh, here in central Illinois, you, you, you learned to look for some authenticating features on these pieces of equipment. Okay? You wanted to see if somewhere on that ball glove, in the, uh, pr- printed on maybe the, the palm, the lower palm there somewhere, or maybe inside, that it was genuine cowhide. Because that was a real thing. That was the real deal, not not just the, the plastic kind that's going to fall apart, you know, in a in a in a year or two. And you'd you'd look on that baseball and you'd see, oh, it's a it's official, maybe it was minor league or major league, depending on how old you are. And you, you, you saw that that was in between the stitching there. Or you had some, some actual stitching of letters, maybe on the hat that says, you know, official league or uh, part of MLB, Major League uh, Baseball official wear, something of that nature. You learned to look for those, those things, and you understood that if it was stamped with those phrases, you had the real deal, you had something that mattered. Once you saw that the, that stamp was there, you, you would, you'd confidently put that on and, and see it again, and then you could, you could just enjoy that product that you had knowing that it was, it was the real deal. You'd studied it. You'd understood that this is something that is going to last me and be useful for my playtime when you're that age. Well, similarly... I wonder if we see Jesus in this way now as those who are mature and considering important spiritual things in our, in our lives. Do we study the, the real Jesus as Paul is asking Timothy to do here? To really take a look at what the Scriptures say about this Jesus Christ Are we getting to know all that His name means as we pour through the Scriptures so the way, the truth, and the the life that we know can develop substance so we can follow and emulate Him and enjoy Him in the ways that we're meant to enjoy Him. So Paul gives these couple stamps here. These authenticating features. This is Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The offspring of David. Timothy, this is the Jesus that you need to know, that you need to come to love more and more, and that you need to, to proclaim to others. Remember Jesus Christ. This, this Jesus who we find next as we continue to look through the text, who's the substance of the message that, that Paul is proclaiming. He's the substance of Paul's Gospel. This is Paul's Gospel, he says. So remember this Jesus, he's the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Now interestingly there, the, the word preached, the word preached is only applied. Okay, that, that word is not in the, in the Greek text. It helps us to understand what Paul did, of course, with, with the gospel. But, but I think knowing that more, more woodenly, more, more directly, it's just according to my gospel it helps us to see how, how Paul was so identifying with this message that he held dear. Paul was so identifying with this to say that he didn't even want another, another word, another verb to get in the way there of what this Gospel was. It's mine. I identify with it. It's the one that I am clinging to. This is Paul's Gospel we read. More identification for us, I think, there when we... When we see how it's actually uh, written. See, for for Paul, he had he had personally seen the the gospel at work in his own life and and in others as he taught it to them. And so so his clinging to this this gospel had substance and, and weight. He'd he'd see it, he'd seen it over and over take effect in people's lives. And so really, he's already kind of spoken of the content to some degree of this this gospel. Well, it's about Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of, of David. But then he'll also go on to talk about the great cost of holding this gospel. And it seems ironic to us at first that Paul says, this is my gospel. And then he's going to talk about for which I am suffering. We'll look at that in a second. But what is the content of this, this message? Yes, it's about, it's about Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of, of David. And that was even perhaps a bit of a creed for, for Paul as he, he thought, what, what is this message concisely about? And the church, though, we'll see, and, and Paul himself had other creeds that he held on to. Look, for instance, uh, at uh, one other one from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Probably another early creed of the church. What was this Gospel that they were clinging to? He says, "...for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." So Paul, when he says this is my gospel, he isn't just saying it's mine and not yours. You can't have it. He's saying that this is the gospel that I identify with that was given to me and that I've been giving out to others. It's this core message of our belief that Jesus Christ has come, died for our sins, and was buried and was raised on the third day. This is Paul's gospel this is what he received this is what he's passed on to Timothy this is what he's asking Timothy to pass on to people who will pass it on to others this consistent message my gospel Paul says that's the content but this my gospel that he had was one that he carried in the face of great suffering and there's perhaps at least at first the irony for us what does he say He says, "...as preached in my Gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal." The fact that he was holding the Gospel so tightly and refusing to let it go meant that he was suffering for this message that he simply would not compromise. This association did all kinds of things for Paul and right now it's put him in prison. He's bound with chains and this suffering for the the, the gospel it's something that he can't just Talk about the gospel without also letting people know that suffering comes with it. And he's actually already done that with, with Timothy earlier in the letter. We might think, well, yes, Paul, he was a, he was a front runner. He was one that had to, uh, to suffer for, for the gospel. And, and now we, we live and we can enjoy the, the gospel without worry of, of those sorts of things and identifying with it. But, but listen to what he, he does as he passes it along to, uh, to, to Timothy this message. 2 Timothy 1, just turn your eyes over to chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, I believe. He tells Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us. And called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. So twice here in these few verses, he says, Timothy, you too need to identify in such a way with the Gospel that you're willing to go down with it. You're willing to to stake your life on it as Paul has. And again, these are truths that were for Timothy and they were for those that Timothy would invest in who would also invest in others. This is for the church. This identifying with the Gospel, clinging to it so closely, recognizing... That there's a great cost to holding on to the Gospel. What is it that uh, really fueled Paul's passion here to just cling to this Gospel so, so closely? I'm trying to think of pictures of, of this. And, and I thought of one in our own home here this, this past week. We have, a, we have a passionate little person in our house. His name's Lewis, and he's two. And one of the things that Lewis is very passionate about is my Lego guy that he holds on to. My Lego guy. And he has a couple Lego guys that are especially important to him. And and he gets one in his mind that he has to have. That Lego guy has certain clothing that it must wear. That Lego guy's head must be turned a very specific way. He gets frustrated literally sometimes if he's trying with his tiny fingers, he turns it a quarter turn instead of an eighth of a turn and it can be a bad day in the Kemp household if if a Lego head gets turned a quarter turn. And so we have to help him get his Lego guy just the way he wants. Very passionate about his Lego guy. In fact, he's so passionate about his Lego guy that that he's actually sometimes willing to to go to prison behind the bars of his crib with that Lego guy because he won't let it go for supper or he won't let it go as we need to, to head out the door shortly to, uh, to maybe even go to church in the morning. Makes for a fun Sunday morning when things like that happen, doesn't it? My Lego guy, he has to have it. He has this uncompromising possession of his Lego guy. But I thought about that, and, and I tell you, I'm still sometimes, you know, by and large, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable as a Christian here. Too comfortable, I'm sure, sometimes. But what does this look like in the day-to-day little circumstances of life as we're to to cling to the gospel? Well, sometimes God is so God is always faithful, and sometimes He's especially faithful to show us what we need at a at a certain time in a certain way. and And over this this weekend, we uh, we had the privilege of of driving out. Um, all our family together to to lafayette to to have um, my seminary graduation yesterday a fun time for us to to head out there and and you know the week had gone pretty well the The trip had gone pretty well so far, but something happened with our directions right at the end as we were tra- getting to our, our hotel that did not go real well and I know you won 't believe this but I I just, I griped. I mean, I, I really griped about that. And one of the things that, even though it, we passed pretty quickly over it, I just was mulling it over that night. My heart was just, it, it was just gripped by that, that that's what I did in front of my my family. That's the way that I sinned against my Lord. And sinned especially against one member of, of my family because they kind of took the, the brunt of, of my griping that, that I was doing. Wrestling with that that, that evening. Wrestling with that the, the next morning. And, and I'm lying in bed um, early that, uh, that morning and I, uh, and I looked at a psalm. Psalm 143, verse 2. And this is what drove it home for me and my need for the, the Gospel. David says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. No one living is righteous before you. The fact that I thought that trip had gone pretty well, boy, I was, I was a hair trigger away from, from being a griper, from being a sinner, from being one. Who has no righteousness to offer. If I were to sit under the judgment of my God, I would be doomed. No one living is is righteous before my God, myself, very much included. And so I was reminded through that. "I, I, I don't have righteousness to offer. I need Righteousness. Because God is judge. I need righteousness and I have the righteousness of God. Praise God, I have Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Such a small passing moment and I considered over the course of a, of a lifetime or even a week. But I needed the Gospel on my drive to Lafayette. I needed the Gospel. This is my Gospel I was able to see after being reminded of my unrighteousness and Christ's righteousness. It's my Gospel too. How precious is the Gospel of Jesus to us? How precious is His Gospel? Will we go down with it? Yes, if necessary. But, but also, will we consider it in the day-to-day moments of, of life as we're sinners, unrighteous? standing before a righteous, holy judge, our God, in need of the righteousness of Christ. How precious is the Gospel of Jesus to us today? I think Paul considered these things. He knew the weight of his own sin. He knew the need that others had for the Gospel as he saw the unrighteousness of Christ of people as he would move to a new city, plant a new church. He, he knew this. He felt this this weight. And he knew that whatever happened, though, to him personally, as one who clinged to this message, he knew that the Word of God cannot be bound so that's another thing that he wanted Timothy to understand. Timothy, though you see my chains, though you see I am bound, though you yourself may be bound, though there will be many persecutions to come, the Word of God is not bound, Timothy. The messenger may go down with the message, but the message doesn't go down and sink with the messenger. And isn't that great news? The message doesn't go down with the messenger. It's unstoppable. All throughout the Scriptures, we see the power of the Word of God and the might of the Gospel. We see that it's an unstoppable force. God's Word, we read, cannot be rendered ineffective. For true saints in the world, we know that persecution, when it has come, what has happened? But the spread of the truth that fuels boldness. We see that when we read about the persecutions after Pentecost. Persecution comes down like a hammer on Jerusalem. People spread and they declare the Gospel in all of the places to which God has them land. We hear of stories of suffering saints today and how that fuels passion for the Gospel In the world, God continues to carry His message forth. He's never let His Word fall flat. We have those wonderful words from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Oh, how we've seen that this past week with the rains that we needed for the crops. He says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. That's God's word that cannot be stopped. We read even further words here in 2 Timothy that it's thoroughly profitable. It's, it's complete for equipping. These are, these are words that we love as a, as a church who, who values biblical discipleship, biblical counseling. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Just turn your eyes the chapter forward. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped, equipped, For every good work, this is God's Word and its power to be at work in our lives and to change. And the centerpiece of that message is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word that never falls flat. That's thoroughly profitable, useful for every aspect of life. We can trust it. We can trust it and we can live by it regardless of circumstance. We're so driven by our circumstances so often and how we respond to those. Just like I responded poorly in in Lafayette and needed to be reminded before my mouth opened that I am one who lives by the truth of God's Word, who is one who's been captivated by the Gospel, and I say this is my Gospel. I needed it in that circumstance. Will we stand confident that the power is not in the messenger, but in this message ultimately? Will we put our hope in God to carry it forth? You see, how the messenger sticks with the word matters, and that's the next thing that Paul wants to be sure Timothy knows. He wants Timothy to know basically that, you know what, I'm holding this gospel in the way that I am. I am confident in the Word. And I'm going to maintain that confidence because the elect are worth it, he says. The elect are worth it. Look in verse 10. He says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. See, Paul knew that his endurance, that his faithfulness mattered not just for himself, but for the present and future saints. For the elect. See, what Paul did with this message that he so passionately proclaimed when he was out of prison, what he did with it when he was in prison mattered to a watching church and watching world. People were wondering, is this authentic? Is this message true? Will someone who proclaims it so passionately hold it to the end? For Paul, see, these these words about the Word, about this message of the Gospel, were not merely phrases put together. See, he had already uh, seen the importance of him holding firmly to it, no matter what, during his first imprisonment. And he, he writes to the Philippians about that in chapter 1, starting in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Well, how, how was it known? Because Paul wouldn't shut up about it and he continued to say this is my gospel that he was holding on to. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear, Paul says, How he handled prison, holding on to the Gospel, mattered for others in the church and mattered to subsequent people who would come to faith. It mattered. It was important. He knew that giving up or compromising was dangerous to the souls of others. People were taking their cues for him, asking, what's Paul going to do when he's squeezed by these pressures? Will he be like the Jesus he proclaims? Will he do that? His response mattered so much for the church, his response to these circumstances. I mean, think of even us today as we open up God's Word this morning and we read about the Apostle Paul who says this is my gospel for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. And we hear that and we say yes, yes, If we're believers in Jesus. Yes, this is true. Amen. I want to hold fast. I want to hold true. We need to think about this for our lives this this week. What will we show when that we believe at, at home? In the car, for me, when we're in our workplaces, when we go back to school in a couple months, when we're on social media. And somebody says something that honks us off. How will we respond in those times? Will we use the Gospel? Will we use Christ? What will come out when we're squeezed? Will we lie? Will we soften our message perhaps? Will we put ourselves on a a pedestal in in pride where no one can touch us and perhaps we can leave others down that we don't want to have to, to deal with? Church, it matters. It matters. It, it matters for the rest of the church, the people sitting down the, the way from you. It matters for your spouse or your future spouse, even how you're responding to the circumstances of life now. It matters for your kids or your kids yet to come or, or your grandkids, even. It matters now. It mattered to my family who, who saw that when daddy is squeezed driving to Lafayette, he didn't use the gospel. He used something else. And, and, I'm trusting in God's grace that He will take all of my failures and all of those times when I don't represent Christ well and He will by His grace redeem anyway. But it it matters and it trains them and it teaches them what not to do in those, those times. It matters for the future of the church. It matters for the church present. The elect are worth it, Paul says. I want to hold forth this Gospel with all that I've got. Well, finally there, quickly, I I think that we see that God is faithful. Timothy, remember that God is faithful. There is a a few verses who are likely in in your text written in in poetic form. It's probably correct that they're written in that, that way. We can hear some meter with it. But what does he say about God's faithfulness? Verse 11 This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You see that first phrase there? If we have died with him, we will also live with him. We're reminded that he keeps us to the end, he won't stop somewhere in the middle with our salvation. The next phrase, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. He raises us with Christ to, to reign one day. We see beautiful pictures of this in, in Revelation concerning the, the saints who have gone before us. The next phrase there, if we deny Him, He also will deny us. It's a great warning there that, that He accepts no Judas-like imposters. We can't just say nice things about Jesus and pretend in our, in our houses or in certain contexts that we follow Him. It has to be true for our heart and God knows. If we deny Him in any way by not giving Him our actual selves and calling Him Lord and acknowledging Him in that way with our lives, He'll also deny us. And so that's scary, but then He comes in with this final phrase, if we are faithless, He remains faithful for He cannot deny Himself. He restores the Peter-like stumblers, stumblers like you and I. And he's true to who he says he is. He cannot deny himself. It's his unshakable character that we count on. He's the God who will not, who cannot move from his promises, from his character and because He's made a way for us and given promise to those who hope in Him, we say yes to that. Yes to God's unshakable character that He cannot deny Himself. So really, I think Paul wraps up this thought to, to Timothy. and Timothy, these, these are the things, verse 14, these are the things you need to remind them of. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Those are the essentials to hold to and teach and the, the essentials that we need to see the rest of, of Scripture pointing to about Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, or off, the one who's the offspring of David. Focusing on the primary does so much for us as a church to keep us from those, those word wars. That Paul knew would happen in Ephesus. Keep us from silly arguments about our opinions. It keeps us focused and passionate on the right things. And reminds us of how we are brothers and sisters united in Christ. Remind them of these things. Timothy says, the aging Paul, probably soon to his death. And we need today to remember this Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And we get to do that in a special way this morning through communion, through the Lord's Supper. And so I'd invite now the men who are serving communion this morning to begin coming forward. In this time of enjoying the Lord's Supper together, we remember Christ. We remember Jesus Christ, this promised Son of David, crucified and buried. And we anticipate the risen Jesus and the final resurrection that he has for all those who hope in Christ and so we we say this morning as a church that this time of communion is open to all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord And Savior. And we encourage everyone to be committed to and in right fellowship with a local body of other believers if this is not your church family here, other believers who can encourage you to live out the truths that we've observed this morning. And so, with that, I'll ask the men serving us now to please pass out the elements and we'll take them together here in a few moments. Father, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus, his shed blood. We thank You, Lord, that though we fail at nearly every turn, Father, day after day, You remain faithful. You do not deny Yourself. And You have promised that this Jesus who we proclaimed is sufficient for what we need for hope for salvation. And so, Lord, we thank You for that today. It's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.